we're moving back into the Bible and a story that is centered on some letters that the Apostle Paul wrote found in the book of 2 Corinthians. And if you've been tracking with us, you know that I've been uh, using as kind of a, an image for us to relate to this uh, storyline uh, through a heavy challenger that Jesus is driving with the intent of doing what Rich just said a minute ago. Helping us to get from one place to another in our lives. And a lot of it just has to do with becoming everything that God has intended for us to become. As we live and learn and grow and become who we need to, we need to be. As uh, we go through life circumstances, God tells us, I think, from time to time, yeah, this is an area where you need to grow. This is an area where you need to kind of make some changes. I was driving in my own car in Boardman the other day, and as I did that, I had a car that was beginning to cut me off. And he was in the he was in the passing or he was in the I was in the passing lane, and he was wanting to go to the center lane. And maybe you've been in Boardman and you've seen that kind of chaos. But essentially, what the driver did was just pretended like I wasn't there and just drove from the lane that you get passed into the passing lane to the middle lane, and I just hit my brakes. And it was a time where I could have said something that I should have said as a pastor, and I didn't. It was a time when I could have gestured something that I shouldn't gesture, and I didn't do that either. There might have been a time when I had thought about it, but honestly, it didn't cross my mind. I just was like, what are you thinking, sir? And then I was at a stoplight not too far down the way, and I didn't take off fast enough, and immediately, horns started honking at me. And I went down the road a little bit farther, and once again, horn started honking at me. And I'm like, I must just be having a slow day today, or an invisible day, or I'm too visible. I don't know. And I thought about how people respond under those conditions, and clearly we have been taught to curse in the midst of the frustration of everything that we have to face here in life. It's kind of funny that along those lines, uh, my wife showed me the other day a video of Tim Hawkins, a comedian. Anybody know who Tim Hawkins is? If you ever ever YouTube him, you know that he's he's pretty hilarious. And one of the things that he chronicled was what he described as Christian curse words, if there could ever be such a thing. But there is, I think, an expression in the mouths of Christians that sometimes doesn't go there with, you know, the big five or the big seven or whatever all those curse words are, but we have our own variation of it, and I've been guilty of saying it just like anybody else. And he had taken a, a poll on, on, on social media and asked to have everyone give the word that they use instead of those one words, and uh, he wanted to catalog uh, all of them and, and then uh, turn them into a skit. He actually found a hundred of them. And I'll just give you a couple of them, just so you know, for instance, crud, okay, golly, uh, uh, let's see, crap, um, and then some variations on that word, and on and on it goes, you get the point. And it was pretty hilarious, but it is like, we still, even though we clean it up, we have that impulse to curse circumstances and situations, don't we? And yet, whenever we're going into this part of our journey, Jesus is taking us down the road in a car that is probably going to be the recipient of those kind of actions from people that just don't fully understand the ways of the Lord. And understandably so. They're frustrated with life. And he's trying to show us in the course of our everyday experiences 
that there are different responses that we can make. Responses that actually turn from cursing or finding Christian curse words that we can apply to blessing. Now, can you imagine somebody soliciting, can you give me a hundred ways that you can say blessings to other people? I'd like to see that list as well because I think it would be a good list to, to meditate on. It's probably a list that uh, it sounds kind of Pollyannish, but in reality, it's the calling of every Christian to be a source of blessing and not a source of cursing for everyone that is in our path. And one of the ways that Paul was trying to dial in that sensibility had to do with just creating within the hearts of the people that he was writing to a sense of generosity rather than self-centeredness. A self-centered self would say, why did you cut me off? And if I have a chance to get even with you, I will. And we've all felt that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not judging. But a generous self would say, I wonder what kind of day that person's having. I wonder if I could bless them. And most of us, we don't always have that ability in us to go there, do we? But there's something about having Jesus in the equation that the Apostle Paul says that can change. That can actually change in a way that he can flow through your life. And he was trying to work with a church that was pretty caught up in themselves and being offended and all of those things that have to do with the usage of curse words. And he was trying to bring them to a place where they would turn that around and they would use it as an opportunity to bless. And there were tensions that were in the church and there were tensions that they had with Paul and tensions that were there in the air with, with Jewish Christians far away. And he was seeking to disarm all of those tensions and use that situation as an opportunity to help them to see how Jesus could bless them and bless others through them. And interestingly enough, as we come to chapter 9, they're starting to figure it out that the way of life of a believer is supposed to be truly different. People who, under any given circumstance that we encounter should have a sense of, wow, that was kind of cool to be around those people. They have a different take on life. They didn't use curse words, Christian or otherwise. They, they used, well, they didn't just use, they, they demonstrated acts of blessing. And for Paul, he wanted to center on the idea of generosity, how it is that the church could be generous, both with time, which we all know we don't have a lot of, Energy, which, again, that's hard to come by as well. Attention. And we all know that we're distracted. So those are three things that we find it hard to give away. And then, of course, there's, there's money as an expression of resourcing in a tangible way. Needs around us. And he saw that as a way of cultivating within the passengers in this car a response that was different. And I hope that in the process of what we're doing... I can help you. I, I can help you not only dig into that response, but begin to cultivate it within yourself. The Apostle Paul was looking at a church and he's saying, you know the heart of God. You know that you are here because Jesus Christ died on a bloodstained cross as an expression of the heart of God for the needs of humanity. You know that you are here in Corinth in church because of that. And because the world does not provide all the answers in such a rich and wealthy and 
cosmopolitan society, the answers still aren't there. And you've known the generosity of God in such a way that complete strangers have given you the gospel and have even paid for it in various ways. And now he's saying, I want you to do the same. And so he, he begins by describing to them something that you're all familiar with, some laws. You know, not just breaking the law like I sped or I, I um, you know, I, I, I got a parking ticket because the meter expired. No, a deeper law. The law of reaping and sowing, or sowing and reaping. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to look at just a small section of 2 Corinthians 9. And we're going to explore that as we seek to follow Jesus from one way of life to another. Let's go ahead and show those scriptures if we can. It says, And God is able to make all a grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. Uh, his righteousness endures forever. Can we back up just a little bit to the slide that says, uh, the, the, there we go. Okay. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And let's just stop right there. Now, there are laws that are at work in the world that we have to abide by. We have no choice. Uh, there is the law of electricity. Do you know how the law of electricity works? Um, my son Stephen discovered it whenever he jammed a fork into the socket. And he realized that that stuff has to flow somewhere, and it's deciding to flow through you. And electricity is always looking for a grounding point. And you just know the grass is green and water is wet and if electricity can find the path of least resistance to where it wants to go, trust me, it will. And there are other laws at work. If you climb a tree and you are not real adept at climbing trees and you fall, well, gravity, the law of gravity, is not going to be your friend in that, in that equation. If you just take anything that you go through in life and you stop and you ask, what is the law here? If you eat food and you realize that it's going to metabolize into energy, but eventually you're going to, it's going to come out in waste, that's the law of entropy. It, it, it's just another law at work that makes life work. And one of the laws that everybody knew in the time of Jesus, very well because it was an agricultural society, was if you put a seed in the ground and it germinates, and you water it, and conditions are what they need to be, well, it'll produce. But if you don't plant the seed, or if you do plant the seed and you don't do what you need to do, nothing will happen. And so he basically says, if you want to develop a, a pattern of generosity, just start looking at all of the ways that you spend your time and energy and attention. And however you're spending it, you will get the fruit of whatever that is in your life. If you're spending it on things that are selfish and greedy, then you're probably going to get the fruit of misery and you're going to get things that um, make you just look at life and say, yeah, I wonder why it's not going well. And I wonder why I feel like such a victim all the time because it's really all about me. 
And he wants to change that to a place where you start sowing generosity in terms of time, energy, attention, and just begin to see the feedback from that. Probably there are people in your life that you've known for a long time that were friends perhaps at one point and you were really close, but because you didn't attend to the relationship, it just kind of started to fall apart. Because you didn't, you didn't sow anything into it. You didn't really reap the reward of a close friendship. And with Paul, the rule applies when it comes to the church, when we look at people who are in need, and he's saying, you are a needy people, and maybe one of the reasons why God is not opening up the storehouse of blessing into your life is primarily because you're indifferent to the needs of other people. And as he is building his case, he's trying to show you and I something. That whatever we have in life that we have accumulated, it's there because of that law. If you've invested in your own education and you've learned and you've equipped yourself, the law is you're going to be able to apply that in a gainfully employed manner. If you just said, I'm going to do that one of these days, but you're not making efforts to give it some kind of life of its own, it'll, it'll, it'll never come to fruition. And I could just drive the point home all day. However, what I want to do actually is I want to just point out how in God's mind as he's looking at you and I, he sees us perhaps in our own infancy spiritually, just like as an infant, as a little child, the world revolves around you. And as a believer, it kind of revolves around you when you first get started because it's all so new and so fresh and you're so dependent upon other people. But as we grow from there into a place where we're starting to behave in a Christ-like manner, all of a sudden, we start seeing things happening in other people's lives that give us, well, God's heart kicks in and we want to be generous to them in some way. We want to provide for them. We want to help them. We want to show them perhaps the grace of God through our own lives. So here we go. We are moving from generosity to influencing in this third part of this third section of our little trip. And as we do that, I want you to know that what that means is the degree of desire that you and I have, that desire that you and I have to allow the grace of God to flow through our lives into other people's lives. And as that happens, something happens in us. Like you're almost telling yourself, once I started serving or helping or giving or doing something that I could see God move through me to help that, I didn't know there was a, a joy bundled into that. I didn't know there was a, a contentment that my selfishness couldn't find. I didn't know that through giving you had a way of just flowing through my life and coming alive inside of me. Now if you're a student of the Bible, one thing that I can tell you is the Bible is filled with all kinds of geographical spaces and many of them actually have significant meaning. For example, if you look at on the edge of the Mediterranean, the Holy Land, there is 
on two significant bodies of water, one on top of the other. And in those, in, in those bodies of water, uh, before the first one, there is a river that flows into, into it, and it's called the Sea of Galilee. And that river is the Jordan River, and as it flows, it brings the life of everything that is accumulated along the way to bear upon that body of water, making it very productive for fishing and for so many things that have to do with the life and well-being of people that live around it. And there's a lot of people that lived around it. However, that water flows out of that, out of that big sea, or the lake, if you want to call it, the Lake of Galilee. And when it does, it flows um, uh, just a, a pretty good distance through the desert, and as it does, all of the nutrients and everything that's so good about that body of water, water begins to bless the land that is alongside the river that is pointing to the second body of water. And you know what that second body of water is? It's the Dead Sea. Now, isn't that great? How would you like to go on a vacation and say, Honey, where would you like to go? I don't know. Dead Sea, that sounds toxic. Let's do it. Well, there's a reason why it's a dead sea. It's simply the fact that though the Sea of Galilee is kind of obediently doing what it's supposed to do, receiving and then pouring back out into, into, into what's happening downstream, the dead sea just says, I'll just take it all. Just bring all the water and I'll just keep it. Now, the reason why the dead sea is actually a destination is because all that water brings with it sediment and salt and all the minerals. They don't have any place to go. So you can actually go to the Dead Sea and it is so dense with all of that that you can practically lay on it. And when you do, of course, there's a therapeutic benefit because all, those, all the value that is being wasted by the Dead Sea, people go there for spa purposes and they try to gain what they can from what is literally a carcass of a body. Now, for every believer, I would just like to make this one piece of geography, if there's any, come alive in their mind. Because by all intents, the purpose of life isn't to get what you can while you can. The purpose of life is actually to be a conduit for the grace of God to flow into and then out of. And you will never discover joy in your Christian life if you don't begin to practice that inflow. For some of you, 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 you work so hard, you help so much, you don't, you don't take enough time to feed yourself because you're always giving all the time. But for others of us, it's kind of the other way around. We're just used to taking and taking. Because our culture has said, take, take, take. You're special. You need it. You should have it. You want it. And to undo that impulse, God says no. I want you to receive the blessing so you can be the blessing. He didn't say, I want you to receive the blessing so you can turn it into Christian curse words. And when that guy cuts you off in traffic, you can apply those and you're still going to go to church in good conscience. That's not exactly where we're going with this. What the Apostle Paul is trying to condition within us is a sensibility that God has made you for generosity. He's made you in His image, and He's a generous God. And if the people in the church that Jesus is taking us around to in this letter would only pick up on that, 
their lives would change. And it would appear, history being what it is, somehow they pulled it together. And they realized, oh yeah, there's something missing here. And we've been so concerned about our own agenda that like in the first, first part of this series, it's all just been about me and it's all been personal. But now I'm starting to profess the things that Jesus professed and align my life with it. And the second thing we covered last week was moving from narcissism to generosity. And narcissism is just a fancy way of saying it's all about me. It's all about me. And our culture likes to fuel narcissism because, well, we've got to find our sense of self-worth somewhere. We've got to find value in who we are somewhere. And it will happily cater to that sensibility. But have you ever been sitting in a situation as a one-sided conversation, you know, kind of like we're doing right now, but in reality, all the person wants to hear is themselves because they're so preoccupied? Well, I, I preach because it is the biblical aspect of the church that carries on through time, and I'm called to do it. But in reality, the best work that I do is probably listening and hearing what is going on in your life, in your world. And then figuring out, as I hear that, God, what are you asking me to do in this conversation? How can your grace flow through my life? And maybe sometimes it's just through listening and attention. Because it would appear there's a shortage of that. Other times it is a way of saying, how can I help? And it's been... It's been cool. I can show you a couple of examples of help helping. I mean, you, if you came in, you saw what's happening out here with the with the with the kids' um, playground. The person said, "I want to help, and I'll donate whatever I need to donate to make it happen." And this is one of many times when somebody's come up to me and said, "How can I do that?" And what drives it? isn't so much a selfish need as it is a desire to have God do something through my life for other people, and I'm resourced to do it. But also what drives it is where it lands. I mean, if you guys have ever been kids, which I know some people, they just go from 0 to 21, and they don't seem to have a childhood. But for those of you, the childhood didn't skip you. Playgrounds, be honest. Cool things happen in playgrounds. Smiles get put on kids' faces in playgrounds. In a church, we have people come from all over the neighborhood because they like our playground. And it puts a smile on their kid's face and it's a safe place for families to gather. And God says that's a good thing because there's signposts of who I am all around it. And I think about how just one pathway of generosity opens up possibilities. And I realize not everybody can do that. And maybe... Maybe you've been the recipient of generosity, or maybe you've been generous and you've seen how that works. I've I got to be honest with you, as I'm doing this series, I, there's a backstory to this series that I, I think I'm, I, I need to share with you. It wasn't an accident that I chose a Hemi Challenger, four speed, 1970. But I justified it by putting Jesus behind the wheel. Like, if you drive Jesus, I'll just ride it. It's partly because a long time ago I kind of had a car like that, and I really liked it. And then 2008, 
Dodge reissued the Challenger once again, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. The same car that I used to have, they've made, it's reincarnated in 2.0. And I was all about it. But I also knew, man, that's probably never going to happen. But one can wish, right? But I don't want to be greedy. However, I do like it. And maybe you've been there. And so I remember sitting on the deck not very long ago, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm going through Craigslist, and I'm just looking at it, kind of dreaming and stuff, like, man, I'd really like to have that car. Then I'm like, I feel bad, though, because I you know, don't want to be greedy, but I'd really like to have that car. Other people buy cars. Why can't I buy a car? And I thought, I just paid my truck off. Wouldn't it be cool? And this is all going on inside my head, you know. My, my wife's looking at me like, what's wrong with you, honey? you got a crazy look in your eyes. So I'm fine, honey, because it's work, it's stressful. And so she said, well, what are you looking at? And I said, oh, I'm looking at this Dodge Challenger. It's really cool, it's used, and it's got all the features that I like. And I just thought, you know, making conversation. She said, well, why don't you go look at it? I'm like, huh? What? What'd you say? She said, why don't you go look at it, and if you want it, why don't you buy it? And I'm like, are you feeling okay? I, I seriously was confused, because that's not the normal fare that I get from my wife. It's more like, we got to tighten it up a little bit, or, you know, we got to stop spending on that over there, or, you know, it's usually she's the voice of reason. And this was not the voice of reason by any stretch. This was the voice of fantasy, and I'm like, this is not, something is not adding up here. What floored me was she had a little money tucked away and she said, I'll give you the money for a down payment. I, I literally, my jaw dropped to the floor. And I thought, that is the most generous thing a person could do. I mean, not really, but <laughs> at the moment it was like I was overwhelmed. And I said, are you serious? She said, yes. Yeah. So I went test drove and I'm like, I'm going to keep this going as long as I can, so we're on it. And long story short, she is now part owner of a 2014 Plum Crazy Purple Dodge Challenger RT Classic with the 6-speed and 392 and the DNC. All right, but here's the, here's the catch, and I should have saw that comment on the backside. Because... I'm an owner, she's an investor, which makes her part owner. Mm -hmm. Which in her mind is also a way of saying, we need to have some rules here. And I'm like, oh, I see. You're an investor, there need to be rules for the car that I'll be driving. And I'm like, what did I just get myself into? Well, she definitely has her rules, but I made my peace with them for reasons that I won't bore you with. But what impressed me was just how generous it was and not necessary. And I got to tell her, foolish. <laughs> it's just, no, not really. Uh, but it, uh, it, it, it's something to be the recipient of generosity. And that's sort of not necessarily a kingdom act of generosity. However, I did justify it by saying, I have a lot of friends shut-ins and other people, I can go pick them up in this car and they can feel like it's 1975 all over again. So there's upsides all over the place here, honey. Isn't it funny how your mind becomes a runaway train? 
except maybe when generosity is in play. But the reality is, God says, I've, I've made you to be generous like that. And as I think about that, I, I, I think about another slide I want to show you. It's just, it's, it's a picture of a couple that I know. And they have heard the call to go to Tanzania, and they answered it, and they said, we're going, we're off. And a lot of us got behind them and said, how can we help you? How can we support you? Because what you're doing needs to be done in that, under those conditions. And it's basically an administration role for missionaries that frees them up to do their work, and it's a huge sacrifice on their behalf. And somebody asked them, and they, they, they asked the question back, what can we do to support you? And about a month ago, they sent this little email, and if you're not on their email, see us in the, in, in, in the, in the studio afterwards, and we'll, we'll get you on there, because these are actually people connected to a family in our church. But this is what they wrote. Uh, one, one block of text says, essentially, just go ahead and put the text up there if you can, it's just following this one. It says essentially this. No, it said, yeah, there we go. Okay, they said, we, we, we would just like to have some books sent to Tanzania. And these are the books that would change the culture of our office because it would enable us to equip the people that we're working with. And it would be huge. But it's a considerable expense to get those books in Tanzania. And it would be great if somebody just said, I can help you with that. But then they, they were also encouraged to take it down to a personal level. Because believe it or not, missionaries like the rest of us are people too. And this is what they asked for. Let's show the other body of text. They said, we would like to have a handy chapter. They, like, they said, we'd like to have bacon bits and Kool-Aid packets. Bacon bits and Kool-Aid packets. That's all they wanted. And you're like, well, how hard is that? And they said, we'd also like just somebody to drop an encouraging word on one of our birthdays, on um, Sarah's birthday, Jonathan, their son, who obviously, December 24th, Who's he competing with on his birthday? And it's just a way of simply asking, would you be willing to help? And most of the time, that probably is part of the breakdown, is that we don't give generously because nobody's asking. And I know this about giving as a church pastor. There, there are a number of people who get into the habit of tithing, which, which I do through an automatic withdrawal. And it's just my way of saying, God, you provided every week. I have to show uh, not only respect, but I also have to show appreciation for how it is that you, you're always blessing us. But then there's another part of me that says, I, I would like to be able to give when somebody says, you know, I got this $100 need. And they're not even asking me. They're just saying, this is going on and I, I'd like to do this or I need help. And it's nice to be able to periodically just say, I can do that. And on the spot, just be generous. And, I, and as a pastor, I give a lot of my time and energy and attention to individuals, which is actually the little secret of this industry. Because I get to do it full time. And I get to see God flow through my life full time. And 
as difficult as it is to run a church, that is probably one of the primary reasons why I don't get overwhelmed. Because I get to see God move. But I'm not going to be greedy about that. And I try to tell people, when you do things like the Sea of Galilee, you bring God into your life and then you say, God, show me how I can allow you to flow through my life in life-giving ways for others. He will show you. And maybe it's just something like this. And it's amazing. I mean, if you had a list of things that you wanted because you're in Tanzania and you're not anywhere near Aldi's or Giant Eagle, what would you ask for? Oh, ice cream. I think they have ice cream in Africa, but I could be wrong. Probably not the kind that we, we eat. Would you ask for bacon bits? Do you guys have a comfort food? I mean, there's a food that you eat in your life. Oh, man. I was feeling kind of, well, I'm not going to use a Christian cuss word. But I was kind of feeling that way. And then all of a sudden, I ate that food, and I don't know. Makes me think of home. Makes me think of being a kid. I'm guessing in the, that family system, bacon bits must be like the thing. And if not, how can you go wrong with Kool-Aid packets? Anybody drink Kool-Aid growing up? We all drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> for sure. Well, there's a lot of little stuff that happens all around us, all the time, that doesn't even register. And sometimes people just kind of leak it out or it's just a little thing. But if it's important to them, it's an opportunity for God to move. So I'm just going to give you the list real quickly of how this works. The conditions required for generosity to flow are this. Let's go ahead and put that slide up if we can. They're this. Sowing and reaping. You sow the things of God into the lives of other people. They'll be blessed and you'll be blessed. One of the most memorable parables that Jesus told was the parable of the sower. Or the seeds. Because it's a law. You know, if I'm driving my 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 our Hemi Challenger with my co-sponsor and I'm driving too fast, well, I may or may not get away with breaking the law, assuming that that's a thing. And assuming I'm not going to say anything more because what I say can and will be used against me in the court of law, so I will refrain from it. But with sowing and reaping, there's no getting away with it. It's just a thing. If you sow good stuff, good stuff will happen. If you sow bad stuff, don't be surprised when drama shows up at your door. And that leads to the second bullet point. A close, trusting connection with God. And if there's anything that we try to underscore here in this room, it's how we can help you cultivate that close, trusting connection. As I've learned to grow up, and there's still some work to be done, I've got to be honest with you, 
I learned this. Everything in my life, little or big, that's a challenge, that is overwhelming, or that is even just mundane, like a conversation with someone in the church over something, I'm asking God, God, I trust you to help me in this conversation. I trust you to be with me. I trust you to walk with me in something that another person might say, yeah, you're too busy for that, Lord. He's not. He loves to be a part of everything we do. Matter of fact, I would suggest that some of the things that we do in life don't go the way that they could because we just don't ask. Kind of like our friends over there for three years, four years, starving for bacon bits. And all they had to do was ask. I brought it up to our class and they're like, we're on it. And so bacon bits, on the way. Kool-Aid, on the way. Check that box. Why? Because they asked. And a close, trusting connection with God is based on simply asking Him in the course of the day for help. And the answer is always this. Yes, no, or wait. Wait until the circumstances are what they need to be. Now again, there's a lot of things we bring before the Lord that are mysterious and things that are painful. But God hears us. And He's there to help and He's there to help us overcome if not in this life, the life to come. Those are the conditions for generosity to work. Know that sowing and reaping is an unbreakable law and know that a close, trusting connection with God is a requirement. Let me just drill down into that just for a second. Let's say I'm, I, I have a lot of money and I tell pastor or I tell somebody, I want to give money to the church. But my motivation is this. I want people to know I'm giving money to the church. That way I look like a good person. Or I want to give you money so that I can control what you do and you become dependent upon me. That's why people give money sometimes. But if you have a close, trusting connection with God, the reasons why you give will be in line with God's purpose and God's will. And part of sorting us out on the right from here to there is helping us to do the right things with the right intent. So those are the conditions. The second part is this. Now, I'm just going to briefly cover it because it's based on the text that we've read and a few more portions. But let's show that next slide if we can. Simply this. There are expectations that you and I can have when generosity flows through our lives. And there are four. And here they are. What we give, he will supply. Do you guys remember some guy talking in a sermon about the Sea of Galilee? You know, the river comes into it and it goes out of it. An elder in the church that I was at prior to this place said, you can't outgive God. You just can't. He's always there to provide. He'll always supply us. He's just wanting to know if you and I are on board if we're just thinking, I'm going to play the Dead Sea right now and I'll just take it. But he'll call us out for that if we do. Second thing, my selfishness will recalibrate to selflessness. Starting to see and hear 
respond to stuff that may have been in front of me the whole time. But my bandwidth was just so taken up with me and my own fear and scarcity, not so much of God who provides. God's about the most selfless being that we can imagine. The bloodstained cross in the, in the, in the timeline and an empty tomb says, this is for you. Thirdly, we can expect the gospel will be amplified to the lives we bless. I have to be honest, I have a confession to make. I don't always carefully listen to what my wife says, and she'll, she'll, she'll corroborate with you on that. But when she said, the good news is, I'll help you with the down payment. I'll help you with the down payment. It could have just been the volume was turned up to 10, because I heard that. Well, that's kind of a goofy way of saying there are a lot of people out there who've never really heard the gospel as it was intended to be presented. How do I know? Because I've known people who've heard the gospel and it was in the form of, well, um, abuse, exploitation, judgment, indifference. And by that I mean just the attitude of Christians that they've been around. And their experience has been, well, if that's the embodiment of the good news, keep me out. But how can you go wrong with generosity that is based in the love of God? It, it's really hard. And God is generous more than we realize in ways that we can't fathom. And when God uses you and I to tell others about the gospel, he amplifies it. I, I did three baptisms with people just in the last few weeks with the other service, and every one of those individuals to a person had a story that said they were in a church, and in effect what they told me was the way they were hearing the gospel, they felt disconnected from God. They felt ignorant of, of the things of God. They felt like they were being judged by God. And I had to assure them that those things under those conditions were not true. But I was hopeful that the people that they were seeing here at First Christian were embodying the love of God in a way where they may give it a second look. And it's been so gratifying to see that happen in these lives. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's your story. I'm not perfect, but one thing I do know, I have a vice, and it's a plum crazy purple handy challenge. I will give you the spiel. But I, I do know this. The, the more my heart is consistent with the things of God, the more amplified the gospel is. And the less it is, the more it just throws a great big wrench into the whole thing. So I can expect that if I'm tuning in to the things of God and just doing what He's calling me to do in that form of gen generosity that it takes, the gospel is going to be heard. And then finally, this. God's love is seen and He is glorified. Now, God's not selfish when he says, I need my name glorified. 
it's really a byproduct of what happens. Now picture this. You're a parent. Some of you guys know this. And your kid is not getting it right, and they're not listening, and they're not hearing what they need to hear, and they're making some choices that are bringing with them some seeds that they're sowing that conjure up some bad things, and you just see it. Partly because maybe you lived it too, but partly because you've lived long enough to see it in your life. They're just not in tune with what they need to be in tune with yet. But that day comes, and they start to kind of figure it out, and then all of a sudden, you start to see good seeds planted, and you see fruit emerge, and you're like, glorious moment. And it's, it's a glorification that isn't conjured, it isn't forced, it's just the result. And how much does God look at us like a parent looks at their child and long for the day when we kind of grow up? start to get. And when that happens, it's a glorious day. God's glorified when the love of His Son comes alive through our life and it just flows like the Jordan River down through that life that is so open to everything that is being fed by it and so willing to bring the bear not a hundred Christian curses, but innumerable Christian blessings. The Church of Corinth woke up because what was on the periphery managed to find itself front and center. And maybe that's going on in your life right now. And perhaps the first step is to, well, start sowing some good seeds in your life and expect something good to happen. The second thing may simply be this. Just a willingness to draw into a close personal relationship with the Lord every day under every circumstance good or bad and know that He's with you. And know that He'll help you. And know that no matter what in the extreme end of things He's going to make it good in his own way. And that's the relationship that I want to invite you into that isn't out there. And the reason I know is there's a lot of cursing going on out there because it's not being found except in the Lord. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for leading us to this stop in our journey where we see the fruit of so much of what you've done as you've sown the seeds of your goodness in so many ways, primarily through your son dying, going into the grave, and coming back out life immortal. I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts where we are at. We would see the generosity of your own heart. And as an expression of gratitude, we would draw close to you and begin to know you and to love you and to take all of our frustrations in life and all of our challenges and everything that makes life difficult to you, Lord. And we know that your yoke is easy and your burden is light as you come alongside us where we're at. 
If there's anyone here, Lord, that needs you to come alongside, use us in that manner to be your hands and feet. And if we just need to move into less selfishness and more generosity in whatever form you lead us into, help us, Lord, to have that desire. To stop the bottlenecking of things that you long for and to be open as I conclude these things in Jesus' name. Amen.